0: what's going on everybody welcome to the abundant journey podcast we're glad you can join us today it is a show where we have deep meaningful discussions with entrepreneurs and folks who seem ordinary on the outside but on the inside and by the way that they do things they are uh, extraordinary people so we're super glad you can join us today uh, I'm your host Nick James along with my co-host today Nick off camp mr. Nick how are you
1: Hey, real, real good. Real excited to be here again and uh, super excited about getting to spend more time with you guys.
0: Absolutely, absolutely. Well, this is episode number two for us. Uh, Last time we dove in and we got to hear a little bit more about my story, we also got to dive in and hear a little bit more about Abundant Journey and what is the purpose of that. So if you've not had a chance to listen to that episode, check it out today we've got a special guest one of our own it's tyler golson we need to find a call sign for you t money just is rolling off the tongue but i'm not sure tyler can you hear us how are you today
2: doing fantastic glad to be here
0: yeah glad to have you so uh for those of you who don't know tyler is in tennessee while the two Knicks we are hanging out in a gloomy washington state and uh, we, we love to have a little bit of banter, uh, typically between what is better, the, uh, the Northwest or the South. But I don't know that it's much of a competition. Wouldn't you agree?
2: It's not a competition. We live where the Lord lives. So <laughs> we, uh, we have multiple mountains to choose from. Um, I know you guys got a couple of mountains that are taller than ours. But our With season- more snow yeah 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 you get more snow but people get sick of it and then it gets all wet and mushy and a mess
1: are there <laughs> mountains you can ski snowboard on in tennessee
2: uh there is a not so great ski slope uh, about two hours from here in gatlinburg tennessee uh and then virginia has a place that's not too far it's like five or six hours but you got to travel to go not not right here in chattanooga by any means.
1: yeah see if you can't snowboard or ski on it we call that a hill
2: yeah, that's fun. That's exactly it. Right.
0: Yeah. That's exactly. If you really right.
2: want to see hills? You can go down to the city yeah. where I'm from. You'll see a couple of hills. There's a significant a difference.
0: <laughs> well, Tyler, thanks for joining us today. Um, Tyler is actually one of the uh, the co-founders of Abundant Journey, along with me. Um, And so we're going to dive into your story here today, but this is going to be a special episode. I I think what is exciting is Tyler, you and I started this journey, our abundant journey a little over a year ago. And, you know, we jumped in and we realized that we wanted to make some changes for our family. And so abundant journey was kind of birthed from there. And, And so really before we jump into kind of why you wanted to be a part of this and what we got going on. One of the things I'm sure the audience wants to know is, is who is Tyler Golson? So, you know, you've, you've mentioned you're from Mississippi. You, you're in Tennessee right now. Tell us a little bit about you and what got you here and what you do for work, family, any of that. Take it away.
2: Yeah, so the quick version is um, I grew up in, in South Mississippi. My dad was a pastor, still is, faithful, faithful. Um, two unbelievable parents, um, that placed high value on family and, um, uh, pursuing the Lord and honoring him in, in all things life. Um, I grew up with, there were, there were, there's six people in our family. So I've got an older brother. I'm the number two. And then we've got, uh, my little sister and then a little brother. Um, so grew up in a, in a full house. Um, we, um, we we moved not not a ton, but we moved a pretty pretty good amount um, throughout our childhood. A few times, uh, different different cities in South Mississippi and Central Mississippi, where my dad was serving as a pastor. Um, my let's see, the summer of my seventh grade year, I'd been homeschooled all the way up to my seventh grade year. Dream, massive dream, was to play um, play football in, in high school. And um, so we moved to this little city called Louisville, Mississippi, in central Mississippi, not far from Mississippi State University. Um, Got a chance to go to school. um, Got a chance to play football. I actually met Nick, uh, I think it was the summer after my eighth grade year was (laughs) the first time that I met Uh, this dude named Nick Zalk, I showed up as this eighth grader at this, uh, a camp ironically in Chattanooga, uh, that was a precept Bible study camp called boot camp. And when I showed up, I I saw this guy who was a leader actually. And I was just like, I want to be around that guy. And so I think I spent more time (laughs) hanging out with him and the leaders terrorizing other students as if I was a leader than I did with students. Um, I'm and, pretty and, sure. And,
0: and at that point in time, uh, I was bigger than you, but that yeah. is, it's dramatically changed. Height—I uh, <laughs> I, I may be bigger around the waist, but that's about all at this point. More of you to love. There's more of you to love. Right. Um,
2: so yeah, that was where um, just there was a, a crazy awakening to the Word of God. Um, to me, just just it being. reading that scripture that says it's living and active sharper than two any two-edged sword it became uh it came to life for me for the first time i'd grown up around the scripture and in the church and vbs's and bible studies and all of those things but but that was when the word of god actually came uh came came to life for me um went there for two years me and nick stayed in contact forever um we um yeah, just a really special friendship began. Uh, we ended up, yeah, so continued through through high school. Um, definitely faced some, some significant struggles um, with some different things. Um, got introduced to, to pornography and, and that just led to a, a really gnarly um, addiction. Um, and then the Lord ended up doing just incredible work, freeing me from that. Um I, I started dating my my now wife in high school I proposed Thanksgiving day it's about, actually we're a few days before, from thanksgiving um, proposed to her Thanksgiving day of my senior year of high school and then we got married about twenty days after uh, I graduated She was already a sophomore in college um, so she's a couple couple years ahead of me and um and then My senior, very end of my senior year, the Lord called me to ministry and I had previously no interest. In fact, it was a little bit, uh, I wouldn't say antagonistic. I just, I just was absolutely not going to do ministry. I just knew that that was not going to happen. (laughs) And I made the mistake, um, of praying this prayer, Lord, whatever you want me to do, wherever you want me to go, my life's yours. I'll go do say whatever you want me to say. And, And there was a really... Um, vivid, clear interaction that I had with the Lord when he when he called me to the ministry. Um, that was 2011.
0: Yeah, so my, ex- was, my experience was, is that God tends to, uh, when we say we're never going to do something, yeah. that's exactly what's in the cards. I don't know if you, uh, you've experienced that, Nick, or not. <laughs> yeah, definitely.
2: <laughs> yeah. So, um, surrender to ministry and... Uh, pivoted. I was planning to go to law school at Ole Miss, um, where my, at that time, my fiance was. Pivoted, went to Bible college at William Carey University, amazing place. Um, my wife transferred there. We moved to Hattiesburg, Mississippi, which is actually the city I was born in. And um, started Bible college and figured once I was done with Bible college and started seminary, maybe there would be an opportunity for ministry. Little did I know, six months after that, give or take some. Uh, we were attending this church um, the youth pastor left they asked me to become the youth pastor and the Lord just um, just opened up the door and and made it clear that's where we were supposed to be and um, so we served there for a few years and then Lord made it clear it was time for us to leave it was an interim youth pastor for a, a sweet church not far from there for a few months and then the Lord ended up through some really incredible um, ways ended up moving us to Chattanooga Tennessee um, and that's where we've been for the last seven, almost eight years, um, and it has just—we're part of just a, a vibrant church, Calvary Chapel, Chattanooga. We we love this place. Um, it's been it's been just life poured into our family. Uh, since then, we uh, at, at this point we've we've got four little boys. At one point, we had four kids under four years old, which was. I do. I. I. In some ways, I recommend, but you know, be prepared to go <laughs> a little bit crazy.
0: But mostly, don't recommend.
2: <laughs> yeah. So we got four little boys. Titus. We got a set of twins in the middle. Amos and Caleb. Titus is five. The twins are three. And then we've got a year and a half old uh, little boy named Silas. And um, and I think the I think the baby train is done for the Golson household. <laughs> the, the bandwidth and the capacity has reached the ceiling. <laughs>
0: unless he so has other plans we yeah. had
1: we had three under three and uh that that was about enough to do me in. and and uh, now that i think back on uh those years it is all just such a blur so i can't even imagine the uh <laughs> the four under four it's uh, yeah. it's it, i love that um oh what's his the comedian uh jim gaffigan line about uh how what's it like having a fourth kid it's like you know you're drowning and Then somebody hands you a baby. Yeah. (laughs) I imagine that that's kind of what it felt like. (laughs) I just, that's a great illustration.
0: I just grabbed lunch with a guy who's got eight kids, and he said, (laughs) after you get past four, you just become a CEO (laughs) to the older kids. So he said, at that point, it's easy. So that's
1: good. You got some, some managers under you to help. That's right. Yeah. Smart. That's
0: right.
2: Well, we do do family ministry uh, and youth ministry. Um, We're part of an amazing team. Uh, we ever see basically newborn to graduate to, to, to seniors in high school is the, the, the ministry oversight that we provide. And um, yeah, it's it's a, it's a great time to be alive. So. That's right.
0: And is oh, a awesome. great place to be. Unbelievable. Uh, so you who've yeah. never been there, you should check it out sometime. Beautiful city.
1: Yeah. Tyler, did you have any connections to chat before uh, moving for this role?
2: Yeah, so actually at Precept, I met a guy named Zach Smith. He was part of a band called As Isaac. They're some of the most incredible people on the planet. Uh, While we were in Mississippi, we would put on a youth conference and actually have them come down and uh, do worship for us. He introduced me to Pastor Kenny, who's my direct overseer now. Um, And he's just—he's my mentor, discipler, um, just an absolute gift of a human. Um, and he is, he was help. he was one of the founding pastors of Calvary Chapel, Chattanooga. And so, uh, um, awesome. he, he was a mentor and pastor to us from a distance for a little, a little while. And then, um, reached a point where he called me one day and was like, Hey, I want you to pray about coming to Chattanooga. So
0: Best we, decision uh, ever.
2: <laughs> yeah, we thought it was pretty impossible to be honest with me. Mean, the Lord made it clear to go, but we had purchased a home that was previously on the market for like two and a half years. We had only been in it for eight months. And I was like, all right, Lord, we'll go, but you're going to have to sell this house. So in the back of my mind, I'm like, I know, that's impossible. Um, and it sold in four days. So, wow. yeah, it was crazy.
0: At back, what, what year was that?
2: 2015.
0: Okay. So things yeah. were starting to get ramped up with real estate? Had they been going for a while back there?
2: Not in Hattiesburg. No, no. It really had not begun to ramp up. Um, I thought we might have a shot to make a little bit of money. We actually got under contract to make—I don't know—I mean, a very menial amount of money. And um, we, uh, the appraisal actually came in for the exact amount that we paid for the house. So he was like, "I'm going to sell it, and I'm going to do—I'm going to do it in the exact way that I want to, and I'll—I'll I'll offer you uh, exactly what you have in it." So.
0: <laughs> That's awesome. Well, it's a great story. Again, I mean, we've been connected for a lot of years. One of the things I think that makes the dynamic with us unique is that, you know, I'm looked on. I shared that I'm a banker. Nick, you're in real estate. Tyler, you're in ministry, and you have no plans on, on making any changes to that. Um, at this point in time, your your plans are to continue, but yet you believe in Abundant Journey. You believe in what we're trying to do here. So let's dive yeah. in a little bit more of your background and as far as investing goes. You know, how were you... You, you've shared a little bit with me, but what what was investing like growing up what were your views on money you've shared a little bit about your folks? Tell us a little bit there
2: yeah so you know we grew up um, you know m- uh, low middle class maybe maybe even maybe even lower class uh, depending on uh, the season um, you know we we grew up uh, we we always had food to eat um, and there was my, my parents were frugal and Um, you know, they, they, they made ends meet, um, and were extremely faithful. Um, but we, we also grew up, you know, and and this wasn't necessarily directly, um, I don't think from my parents, but there was just sort of the cultural, especially in the evangelical world, there was sort of this cultural, um, attachment to, um, abundance or finances or, uh, you know, I think you know being rich, whatever that means, um, that that typically um, at best had a slippery slope attached to it and in many cases a negative connotation um, just just because you know it's typically viewed that that rich people loved money, they were lovers of money and um, and so you know i just I just kind of grow up um, you know with with sort of a um, sort of a negative uh, connotation to uh, having a lot or wanting a lot. Like even that emotion was something that was of the flesh. Um, and so, and, and I think I think there's merit there. I mean, I think the majority of um, maybe not the majority. I, I think there is a lot of people that do love money, and, and, it, and it, it, it can be a snare. True. And so. Um, you know, we, you know, sort of the Dave Ramsey construct of, of living within your means and, and being content and, and all of those are great things. Um, but also, I think there's another, another side of the coin where um, there's also mastery uh, to finance um, that can produce a lot of, uh, of not only abundance for the individual, but for blessing uh, for the people that they have interaction and influence with. Uh, for needs to be met and 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 uh, you know b- blessings to be offered and all of these things and so um, that was sort of my understanding um, growing up and, and to be honest with you there was just always a fear connected to finance it was like there was a, a, a nauseous pit in the bottom of the stomach when it came to finances and budgets and um, making all of the the things work um and so honestly, it was just something I kind of crossed my fingers and hoped that everything worked out at the end of each month. Mm-hmm. Um, and then, you know, moving forward, um, I, I've always loved buildings, homes, real estate. It's always been something that's just been uh, of, of significant interest. Um, and so when we moved to Chattanooga, we, um, we purchased a home here in Chattanooga. And at that point, 2016, the market was really beginning to take off, especially in Chattanooga. It was, it was a booming city. Loads of people were moving here. Um, and so we lived in that home for about 12 months. It was an amazing place. And I started hearing the rumblings of Airbnb. And I was like, what is that? Like, what is Airbnb? And so I started digging in and... Doing some research, and I was like, there's no way this works. Like, there's no way this is an actual viable option. And so, my wife and I were actually taking a trip on vacation, and I was like, look, I know we live here, all our stuff is in here, but like, we can lock up the important stuff. And while we're gone, you know, we're a few months away, let's just list it on Airbnb and let's just see what happens. And so we listed it, we posted pictures, we, we, we tossed it up. Um, At that point we were living on Signal Mountain and um, within like a week, the entire week that we had open booked. (laughs) And I was like, you gotta be kidding me. So while we went on vacation, I don't know how much we made. I think it was close to a thousand dollars for like a five or six day booking, something like that. And I was like, my mind exploded and I was like, oh my gosh this works like this and i got an insight to the ability to create a passive additional line of income so we got pregnant with our first um and the house was pretty small and so we were thinking hey maybe we could sell and move into a larger home and specifically looking for something with with that could be a permanent airbnb option So a finished basement with a separate entrance, something like that. That was really what we were gunning for. We found a place, um, our place sold really, really quick. We ended up making a really significant amount of money, um, off of that home in 12 months. And I was, my mind was blown. I was like, I've never, that's how much money I make it. Like that's more money than I make in a year. Like, (laughs) I don't even know what just happened. So we move into this place, incredible home, um, it's got a fully furnished basement, full kitchen, separate entrance, separate little drive slip on the side. It was perfect. Um, so we started working on the listing, and then our first our first son came. Um, I was actually moving us while my wife was in the hospital with him. He, he was in the NICU for about a week. Moved into that home, and then we had a new baby. And it was our first child in the home. And sort of the fears of like do we actually want people that we don't know in our basement uh, (laughs) with a newborn child? And pretty quickly, fear really was the thing that drove that decision. Maybe some practicality, but it was mostly fear and ignorance because we didn't know what it was like to have guests um, via Airbnb or or short-term rental underneath um, our primary residence in our basement. And so we ended up not doing it. Um, so we just, you know, we, we fortunately had built our budget around, um, you know, that mortgage. And so we could afford to be there. And then we found out that we were pregnant with twins (laughs) and we were like, all right, well, there's plenty of room in this house. It was a, it was a massive house, but in the back of my mind, I've just been grinding of just like, man, we have got, I've got to find a way. Uh, for this to be a viable solution so that my primary residence is actually an asset as opposed to a liability. So we um, we started shopping. This house came available that we live at now that was just a pipe dream. I mean, I never in my whole life would have thought it was possible to live somewhere like this. And um, the, big, the big thing was it had a guest house, like a, a really, like, I mean, like 1,500 square foot guest house with a separate driveway on the property. I've stayed by. in
0: it. My My wife likes it. Yeah, whole lot. Yeah, a lot, I think. Which says a lot. Like
2: if Liz, yeah, if Liz compliments, <laughs> it's at it, it, high, high levels of appreciation.
0: <laughs> it's a good place.
2: Yeah. So we, um, it was really nerve wracking though because we were first we had to sell our house for an astronomical amount of money, and so we listed basically at a make me move price, and we committed thirty days to the Lord. It was just like, Lord, if you want us to do this, we're going to hand you thirty days. We need you to make it evident in thirty days. We had lots of showings, nothing moved, and we got to the thirtieth day, and really day twenty-six. We were already, my wife was nesting, and you know we were already just like, hey, this is this is where we're gonna be. Well, on the thirtieth day, that house gets a it gets a full price offer, wow. and so we go under contract. And then it's like mayhem, my wife is pregnant with twins and we're trying to get this place ready and we're moving again in the middle of a pregnancy. And so once again, uh, and, and, and I'll just add, one of the really challenging parts was those same fears showed back up because we were gonna be maxing out our debt to income ratio and our budget actually didn't allow for us to be able to afford the mortgage on this place. Hmm. And so we, we pushed all of our chips on the table, trusting that the Airbnb and the guest house would subsidize, if not completely eliminate that mortgage. And that, and I at really, that really,
0: yeah. At that point, you had only done a week of Airbnb?
2: One week. Yeah, we had five days of Airbnb yeah, experience. So
0: very limited experience at that point.
2: Very limited experience great opportunity for failure. Um, I was nervous as I'll get out. We get, here, we, the deal goes through, we get this place under asking price and it's amazing. We, we immediately furnish the Airbnb, get it listed and it starts booking. Um, hmm. but then for the next two years, this property would end up being one of the most insane trials that we've ever faced because it was on a well and we come to find out like basically day one in the house we realized that the well is not producing significant amount of water and i don't know if you know this but if you have a house you need water (laughs) and so there's no city water to hook into this is the only exclusive uh option for water so for the next
0: it was one of those chattanooga mountains that you mentioned earlier yes where the city wasn't pumping water up for you no way
2: Wow. So we, I actually hauled water with a truck to this house, filling a cistern in the basement to keep everything going. Um,
0: For what? A year? So,
2: I, longer, like a year and a wow. half. Yeah. A year and a half. Uh, and the, the well was helping some, but very like it was, it wasn't real. It was like we were getting like a gallon a day. I mean, it was, it was rough. <laughs> so we finally decided to dig a new well Uh, A year, a little over a year and a half ago, we dig 1,060 feet and never hit water. And they charge by the foot whether there's water or not. And so we actually refied our house, pulled some cash out to help offset the cost of that, ended up costing more than we thought, and we didn't get any water. And so just a clear word from the Lord. He was like, I want you to haul water for a season. And I'm just like, pull I'm like, haul water for a season. I've been hauling water for a season. <laughs> with, with,
0: with, with baby twins. And oh yeah. With newborn twins,
2: no one's sleeping. I mean, it was outrageous. <clears throat> and so after about four or five more months of that, um, I was talking with my dad and we were, I was just trying to find options, trying to find solutions. Everybody was like, you're just going to have to dig again. And in the back of my mind, I'm like, there ain't, there's no money to dig again. Digging again isn't an option. I'm just up, up the creek without a paddle, as we say in Mississippi. <laughs> and so we, I start doing research, and I find this guy in Arizona who lives almost exclusively off of rainwater. And <clears throat> I find a, diff, a few different <coughs> – excuse me <clears> – <throat> find a few different um, equations that sort of point out the amounts of water that you can get for your collection space and uh, basically write up um, a design for a rainwater catchment system on a napkin and two incredible friends, Barrett and Wes, uh, who are really gifted with their hands um, with construction and different stuff like that, showed it to them. I ordered some tanks from Texas, two 3,000-gallon cisterns, um, they barely fit through the garage door into our basement and in, a, in basically a couple of days we installed, uh, a napkin idea in our basement and now our entire property runs off of rainwater. We haven't hauled water, uh, since we installed the system. So how, how long ago was that? over a year and a half. Well, wow. And,
0: and not only what's incredible about that, as I know the story, but you panel back to, uh, the the guest house and you have tenants in there consistently and they're using the water from the rain as well right
2: yeah yeah it feeds the 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 guest house and the main house um all 100 percent rainwater sufficient so that's awesome uh, yeah which
0: which you you would think you know washington is known for rain yeah ironically chattanooga tends to get similar amounts of rainfall throughout the year, but it just doesn't drizzle for six months. It just, no. dumps yeah, like today on. you
2: know, there's not a cloud in the sky and it's 31 degrees. It's cold, but it's, it's stunning outside.
1: And you said the idea came from a guy in Arizona, right? Yeah. Which is not what I think of when it comes to like the rain capital of the United States. So if it was working for him, I imagine that gave you good hope yeah. that you could so, pull so it off.
2: For frame of reference, they get like 12 inches of rain per year on average we get about seventy-two. Yeah, and the amount of water that you can get obviously is contingent on the on the the inches per year. Um, yeah. So ah, yeah, so and, cool. and the refi, even though you know it, it stung a little bit, the refi ended up getting us. We actually refi this whole property at thirty years at like two point seven percent interest. Yeah. And Then you know we really didn't have the capacity to refi again. That was about the best rate that happened. Right. Um, and now, obviously, we know that, that rates are atrocious. The market's really struggling. Um, so as a
0: banker, I Lord, feel that sting. <laughs>
1: yeah,
0: yeah, as as a that.
1: real estate broker, <laughs> I feel that sting. So, yeah. Thank you for the reminder. Yeah, <laughs> yeah. yeah so that, that's really
2: what gave us an insight um, to just the abilities of real estate. We made twice as much money on the second sell of the home. On the the sell of the second home, than we did the first. We rolled every bit of that into the principal of this current loan, and um, you know Airbnb is seasonal because it's it's um, it's tourism, and so um, some months are better than others. But for the most part, um, we have we have come close to to eliminating um, our our mortgage every single month, if not uh, cr- in many months actually creating. A little bit of income. So that, that peaked, that was like, oh my gosh, not only is real estate life, like it can change your life. Um, but then simultaneously it has birthed an idea that I probably will never walk away from again in that, um, just this, this principle that your primary residence can, can, can produce profit. Uh, that that idea has been something that I have lived through and experienced firsthand, and I am of the opinion that every single person uh, should, in some way, shape, or form, do everything they can to make their primary residence an asset, um, which obviously asset liability, liability costs you money, asset is something that puts money in your pocket. If you can do that with your primary residence, not only can you do that with anything else that you come into contact with, um, but your, your greatest asset, as we're told growing up, actually is an asset as opposed to really your greatest liability. So it's been a, yeah. it's been a neat journey in the real estate world. Yeah, I love that. Uh,
1: I mean, that language um, sounds like it comes almost right out of Kiyosaki and Rich Dad, Poor Dad. Was that something that you read that's been helpful to you or have there been other kind of resources and things that um, after you had that first week long experiment with Airbnb, things then that you continued to supplement, educate yourself with?
2: So Rich Dad, Poor Dad was was definitely probably I mean, that was one of the most instrumental uh, reads of my entire life, that credit uh, for that resource definitely goes to Nick. He's like, Hey, I came across this book. You need to read it. (laughs) And, uh, you know, for the last few years, there was a lot of these principles that I was watching come to fruition and be true, but I couldn't put language to them. I couldn't, I couldn't put words to, to, to what I was experiencing. I just knew I was experiencing something that was really, really good. And so, um, it was, uh, I guess, I guess a year and a half ago, um, Nick brought up the, the this book, Rich Dad, Poor Dad. He's like, get this book, read it, let's read it together. I'm going to go through it a second time with you. So I started reading this book and my mind is just popping off the entire time. I'm just like, oh my gosh, this is an entirely new approach with principles that I've already experienced that, I've, that I'm actually being uh, handed the terminology for. And so, even the concept of money, there was. There's a phrase that, there's a statement he makes. It's very famous. A ton of people know it. But um, you know, typically, those that are rich, we, at least culturally, we, 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 we're pretty easy to ascribe. You know, the idea that they're slaves to their money. That that's what they worship. It's what they love. It's what they, um, it's it's what it's what really defines them. And so they're sort of slaves to their money. And he actually turns that argument. Um, on the inverse and, and, and on its head. And, and he argues that uh, he believes that those without, those that would be categorized as poor or that barely make it check to check are actually more of a slave to money than those that would be categorized as rich. And all of a sudden, my, my mind opened up to the the good and the value um, attached to abundance and, and, and fiscal health that actually, if it's handled appropriately, which is, which is key. I mean, I'm not at all saying money has no problem. Money can very quickly be, become a, a snare, a trap. It can, be, it can very quickly become something that does rule our life and something that we worship. But um, there, there, for those of us that pursue Jesus... Um, we're called to be good stewards, and so under the banner of good stewardship, um, abundance is not only freeing you further from the 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 restraints and the slavery to the dollar, but it actually positions you to help free other people as well. Uh-huh. Uh, and so that's something that we've experienced, something that we are uh, you know continuing to navigate. Um, And that's obviously a big portion of the the, the desire, the launching of Abundant Journey was, you know, how can we take some of the principles that we're being being, uh, taught and made aware of and offer them to others uh, to extend and open up and and multiply that level of freedom? Um, And even in the beginning stages of Abundant Journey, the Lord just gave us a really clear passage in Philippians chapter 2 um, I, I called Nick and I was like, I found, I found the verse that will—it we'll, must be the foundation of this whole thing. And in Philippians chapter two, uh, Paul is writing to this group of people, and he, he says, um, "Do nothing out of selfish ambition or conceit, but in everything, humility. Not only caring for your own cares, but also for the cares of others." And as I read that, it hit a little bit different where I was like, all right, obviously, if we're interested in making a name for ourselves or this is about pride or, um, you know, um, selfish ambition or conceit or being able to accomplish something and attach our names to it, then we're going to miss first and second, uh, the Lord's not going to honor it. And so there was just early on, there was just a desire to say, hey, everything that we do, we want to do with an open hand and we want to do it with an attitude of humility. And, um, and then that second portion of that passage, he says, not only caring for your own cares, but also for the cares of others. And, and, and it's an interesting idea that, you know, we're called to care for the cares of others, but if we're so strapped financially, um, then it's really a challenge to meet the needs of other people. And so there's that little piece before he says, you know, not only caring for your own cares, that is, you're going to have to care for your own cares. You have a family, you have children, you have to provide, you have to protect, you have to put food on the table. And, and I think that caring for your own cares is directly contingent on being able to meet the needs and the cares of others. And so, um, you know, and then Abundant Journey was born and, and obviously with Vivid Vision and, and, and some different pieces that Nick has been so incredible at developing. Uh, and I was just looking on going, all right, how do we increase cash flow? How do we increase uh, asset base so that not only are the needs of our family met, but also it positions us to be able to meet the needs of others?
0: Yeah. No, I think that's great. And, you know, I think one of the things you hit on in in reference to that verse is that there are so many people who you know, they get a little taste of real estate, they get a little taste of investing, and it's all about me. How do I make my life better? How do I make more money so I can do the things I want, buy the things I want? And I really do think that's one of the things that make us unique at Abundant Journey. In episode one, we talked a lot about making pies, and that came from a guy out here yep. who, who says, hey, don't try to get as big a piece of the pie as you can, learn how to make pies. And so that's a heartbeat for us with Abundant Journey. And And that really is the backbone, I think, as you're saying, but, but it's, it's different. It's unique. It's, it's, it's not your common investment firm that is looking to build wealth. So the rich get richer and everybody else suffers from it.
2: Not at all. In fact, I think that, I don't think it's a secret that there is, especially in the, in the, um, in the West, the, there is a, a, a group of elites that are very well connected um, that continue, especially over COVID, uh, you saw a lot of mom and pops that had to close their doors, and there were a lot of big box chains that remained open. And then the people that were invested in those places—I mean, I think—I think, I think uh, Jeff Bezos' wealth. Um, I don't know. I don't even know the, the the percentage of increase, but you you see this idea that the rich continue to get richer. And I think one of the things that we we believe in is that the the very thing that made you know, one of the greatest, most fiscally um, um, rich countries, the United States of America, um, in the history of the world, was a really, really strong middle class. And there has been a continuing, uh, you know, separation and divorcing, almost, um Uh, where the lower classes begin to increase and the upper class begin to increase and the middle class has slowly continued to shrink. And I think it's because typically you find people in the middle class that value family, they value parenting, they value, uh, paying their bills, paying their taxes. But other than that, like as long as they can do those things, then they find themselves pretty content. And, um, I, I think one of the desires of abundant journey is there's some really practical ways that the middle class could employ, um, some principles that would actually cause it to grow um and and the overall wealth of the country is directly impacted by that and so uh, we, we look on and go we we not only want to see the people in the lower class understand principles that excruciatingly average people can employ but the middle class can also employ those and not necessarily shoot for the moon at being you know a multimillionaire or a billionaire but being someone who is truly truly financially free Um, with, with some principles that uh, are are focused on building that asset uh, column and mitigating and reducing the liability column. And I think the overall, I I mean, I know this, this may be an overstatement, but um, I don't know whether or not we're going to make a significant dent in this. I would, I would like to believe that we will, but uh, I, I am specifically aimed at Um, you know, teaching people to honor God with their finances, but simultaneously bolstering a middle class that actually um, really helps the, the totality of our society um, both fiscally. And I, I think even to some degree culturally. So yeah, Yeah. we want to see, we want to see people be able to believe in themselves and and pursue um, true, true financial freedom, which is not just paying your bills.
0: Yeah. Absolutely. No, and I, I think I, I saw something recently um, that said the debt load in America has increased 15% from this time last year, including credit card debt. I think in addition to that, you know, we're seeing tons of people either on unemployment, living paycheck to paycheck with no, no savings in the bank. So I think you're right. I, you know, that is one of the backbones of Abundant Journey is that ordinary people can do extraordinary things, Absolutely, to make a difference in their their families' lives, their generational lives for their kids, uh, but also their communities. This has been a crazy uh, year for us as we've really been looking for different ways to ramp this thing up. Um, it's it's an exciting journey for us to be on. I know that you've spent a lot of time asking questions from guys who have been successful. We're going to hopefully get. A bunch of those guys on the podcast as well, and get a chance to interview them and ask them and, and hear their stories. curious if you have a couple nuggets um, or anything that comes to mind over the last year that you've learned uh, as you've started this journey as well
2: Yeah, yeah I mean I think patience is is one of the biggest lessons I mean our strong suit right yeah it's not our strong suit <laughs> at all um, but you know typically when you you, you, you start to believe that you can actually create new um, lines of income and and increase your cash flow without necessarily having to go get a new job or find a raise or get a bonus. Um, But there are creative ways for you to do that. Um, One of the things that I think tends to happen is you begin to believe that and there's this massive spike in excitement and drive and you're reading the books and you're talking to people and you're you know, the ideas are going off and you're trying to, and then you face the reality that this isn't easy. It's not easy. Is it possible? Yeah, absolutely. Is it, is it, is it possible for the most normal average individual? Yes. We are evidence of that. Um, (laughs) But I think that, I think that what tends to happen is you, you face sort of the roadblocks and the challenges and then normal life continues and you either just become impatient or you end up giving up. Yep. And I think that continuing to keep the gas pedal down, but maintaining a, a solid level of patience, allow, especially if you're a follower of Jesus, allowing him to be the one that leads the journey um, is is absolutely, absolutely key. And I would even say this year, the last year and a half, if if, if there wasn't a... I don't know that there's a greater example of why you should be thinking with this type of mindset by protecting, um, you know, those that you have to provide for, protecting your ability and insulating yourself um, with additional cash flow is we've watched inflation explode over the last year, over the last year and a half, two years. I mean, it has absolutely gone um, outrageous. and so. You know even separated from the from the, the real estate market and the increase in rates and the challenges that come with that I think that um, everyone has felt you know we joke about going to Costco but I mean it's like you, you go drop a mortgage payment in Costco now if you have a <laughs> uh, a family of four or more people
0: yes you do or what
2: used to be a mortgage payment at least <laughs> and, and and so I think this is just we're living in a moment that it, it is direct tangible evidence and confirmation that this is something that we must be considering um, in, in, in ways to increase cash flow because we don't know what's around the corner. And so not to live in fear of what's next, but uh, there is an appropriate level of preparation that, um, that that those that are providers and those that are, um, you know, leaders of their homes need to be considering. And so you know, when, when, um, you know, when groceries increase, you know, 10, 20, 30, 40 percent in value, I mean, in cost, um, you know, all of a sudden you're like, dadgum, that the the the, the money just got a lot shorter than the month. Yep. Um, and so I would say that over the last year, if anything, our, our current moment has, has confirmed that this is something that, um, really is essential
0: yeah and we use the language often Um we're we're realizing that it's a marathon not a sprint and yeah. uh for you i know that you are not a marathon runner nor do yeah. you ever want to be And so, uh, that makes it all the more difficult, but all the more essential, you know, this we, we, we've seen guys, we've had conversations with guys who've blown themselves up, um, with various types of investments and, and made some huge mistakes. So there's an understanding there that it, it takes time and it's something that you got to, uh, you got to grow. Um, so yeah,
2: and I would just add to that. And I know that we're running short on time, but I, I would just add, um, you know, the, the, the first step for somebody, I think, and, and I think this is just a really easy switch. And, and probably many of the people that will end up listening to this have read Rich Dad Poor Dad. If you haven't, I think that would be an automatic first step. Read Rich Dad Poor Dad. And you're not, go, there, there's, gonna, there's only two takeaways from Rich Dad Poor Dad. There's no middle ground whatsoever. There is those that read Rich Dad Poor Dad and they go, yeah, it's not real. I mean, it was all right. Like it was, there was some good stuff in there, but it is what it is. That's going to be a poor dad mindset. And, and that doesn't mean that you're going to be poor. You may make, you know, a quarter million dollars a year and have loads of money in the stock market and you're doing great. Um, But it's a, it's, it's not a, it's not necessarily speaking to the context in which someone lives, but rather the mindset that exists. And so if that's the takeaway, if you read Rich Dad Poor Dad and you go, oh, that was a good book, there were some decent takeaways, then you, this probably isn't going to be the journey for you. Um, if you read that book, which is the other takeaway, and in my opinion, I'm super black and white, and so in my opinion, there's, there's only two takeaways. Um, it, the other takeaway is, oh my gosh, I have to do this. <laughs> like this absolutely has confirmed and simultaneously wrecked my brain on all <laughs> things finance, investment, life, like this is a totally different approach. And if that's your, if that's your experience, then there's a whole another list of books that you need to start reading and you need to start letting creativity run. What do you love? What are you passionate about? What are you interested in? What are those things that exist? Write them down on a piece of paper and then start exploring ideas um, that are realistic. And I would say, you know, to some degree, the goal is really to search out those avenues that that would produce passive income so that you're not increasing your workload. The whole idea is we want to spend more time with our families. We want to spend more time investing in our kids. We We want to spend more time discipling our kids. And, um, you know, if we're having to pick up second and third jobs, um, which, you know, fortunately we haven't had to do that, but, but if, if, if we find ourselves in a moment where we have to, um, how incredible would it be to already have passive income that is insulating us from having to do that so that we continue um, to pursue and love and, and pour into our families?
0: Yeah, absolutely, and you you hit on one of those things there is, you know, continue to seek education, advice, and wisdom, yes. so you kind of played into my last question there, and really, I mean, what is one of the reasons why people should be listening to, uh, to our podcast?
2: Well, I'm be, I'll be, I mean, I'm, Nick knows I'm, a, I'm an extraordinarily blunt individual, but, um, I'll be completely honest with you. I don't really know that you should be listening to the podcast based on the fact that we're here. Uh, I mean, to be honest with you, we are in the process of this journey We're, and that's part of the beauty is you're going to be able to walk alongside some people that are trying to figure it out for ourselves right now. Um, the real benefit that I think is, is going to take place, you know, hopefully, hopefully we will offer some nuggets of truth or wisdom or spur some creativity, uh, or encouragement. And, And that, that, that's certainly a desire of ours. Um, but I think that it would be extremely beneficial for people to tune in uh, to Abundant Journey because of the people that we're going to have um, here on the show. I mean, we're going we're gonna to be interviewing people from a wide array of different professions, but primarily uh, entrepreneurship. And and, and and what I love about really the mass majority of the people that we're, we're interviewing is they're just normal people. They're normal people that believed in themselves, that shoved fear back where it belonged, not being stupid, obviously applying wisdom, um, but, but not being dictated by fear and then pivoted and pursued something um, that now has completely changed their lives. And so as you listen to people, education is the, is the most uh, significant tool that you can pursue because the majority of it's free. I mean, I mean, books are pretty inexpensive podcasts are, are free. And, um, and so I think, you know, you, you have an opportunity to listen to people and maybe their ideas spur on an idea for you that isn't the exact same, but it's, it's like, gosh, I never even thought about that. Or you just, uh, you, 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 I think, I think the thing that's going to be just really incredible is you are going to be so encouraged by listening to the stories of people just like you who finally flipped a switch and then it changed their lives. And so that's why I think people should tune in. I I just think there's going to be some really wonderful conversations that are going to bless some people.
0: Yeah, absolutely. Well, I'll uh, I'll leave us with one final question. Uh, I'm going to throw a curveball at you. What is a fun or crazy fact about you that people don't know?
2: Oh, man. I hate that question. Um, yeah, I don't... I'm, I'm really an open book. And so it's hard for people to be surprised. Because I, I'm a verbal processor, too. And so pretty much if it's happening in my life, you're probably going to know about it. Um... I, yeah, I don't know the answer to that question.
0: All right. We'll, uh, oh, sorry.
2: I'm sorry. We'll, uh <laughs> we'll
0: save it for <laughs> next time. I Ned. did the
2: piano as a kid <laughs> for like uh, quite a few years. I'm still not good at it, but most people that know me do not look at me and then envision me behind a, a keyboard or a this, piano. But, this I mean, is very hey. true.
0: You are, you are Mr. CrossFit extraordinaire, Competing yeah, no. for uh, the record high jump, box jump type yeah. of uh, competitions, and then you stand up and play the piano. No. So
1: but and also Hold an aspiring chef, as I learned uh, just before we oh, hit the yeah, record I button,
2: that.
1: which uh, <laughs> I had no idea. But that's awesome. Yeah.
2: Yeah, I do. In fact, there's a group of people waiting for me right now. I <laughs> them hamburgers. So, well, that,
0: Right on. That's great. Well, Tyler, thanks for giving us some of your time. It's a great opportunity to hear your story and hear what you're passionate about. Um, the The beauty of the three of us working together is that we're going to be interchangeable with who is interviewing our guests. We're bringing different guests to the show, and so we're super excited to uh, to keep the dialogue going. Thank you, listener, for those of you who were able to chime in today. Uh, hit subscribe, hit like, share these. Uh, we want to get the word out, and we're, uh, we're excited to keep things moving forward here into uh, the new year. So thanks, everybody. Adam.